Welcome to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 71, Our Women, Men's Property. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Church Podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, FLF network.com we're about a week and a half removed from the first annual fight laugh feast conference which i believe by all measures was quite a success i thoroughly enjoyed being in franklin tennessee for a couple days uh hang out with people seeing people and a couple of my favorite highlights would be uh the hymn sing just in general even uh, at the end of everything the very last night uh i just think kind of uh, spirited hymns or psalms uh with a group of people uh, who are pretty zealous for the Lord is a good thing. And then obviously the other favorite part would just be bumping into people here and there. People I've met, uh, some of you I met at G3, so it was good to see you guys again. And then some people who have maybe emailed me over the years asking questions uh, regarding something in the podcast or even about evangelism and be able to bump into some of them um, was also pretty great. But uh, when it comes to the talks, I think my two favorite, uh, one was Glenn Sunshine's, I think was a really fascinating, interesting discussion. So if you have not seen that or heard that, I think it's worth checking out. And then I also really appreciated the presence of David Bonson. Obviously, he is Greg Bonson's son. So if you're familiar with Greg Bonson's work, there's, you know, from the presuppositionalism to the postmillennialism to just kind of a, a certain kind of theme and air. And so to have David there, who I think yeah, I, I can't speak for him, but the, the vibe more that I was picking up was he was far more comfortable with classical liberalism than maybe some of the people there and kind of certain strands of the Enlightenment and the American system and what that kind of entails and uh, what that all is. And so I just thought he was a really good contrasting voice compared to everybody else there. So uh, I, yeah, I was just really happy that he was there and I thought, thought he was pretty gracious. I thought he uh, is obviously pretty well read. He's obviously bright. And as he said a couple of times, I make a lot of money. So he makes a lot of money, which was also, I think, kind of showed he has a sense of humor and uh, seems like a pretty, pretty good guy. So it was a really good conference. I believe we're having another one uh, next year. So if you ha- did not make this year's, you know, go online, see what people are saying. And I- I've heard nothing but really, really good things. And I believe that is the case. And so there may be rumors of another one. I don't know. I- I- I've heard rumors. So we'll-, we'll-, we'll see what happens in the year to come. Uh, but coming out of that, one thing I was excited to do, I want to get back out on campus to preach. So it's been really, I, I was able to get out a little bit in late August, early September. Um, but if you're in Moscow, Idaho, and you draw like a seven-hour radius, you really don't have too many options. Washington's all closed. Oregon's closed. Uh, University of Idaho is kind of open, uh, but there's very few students there. I, I guess down south, Boise State, uh, but a buddy of mine preached there, and he said that, man, there's nobody on this campus. So th- that campus was dead, and then, yeah, you just don't have uh, too many options. So anyway, coming out of the conference, I was just kind of fired up to preach. I was like, man, I need to preach. And even part of it was I want to get content for uh uh, the podcast. So I go out, preach, record some of my conversations, able to edit into this, and uh, you guys can hear some of those conversations. And uh, alas, I uh, wake up Monday. So so kind of su- Sunday, I traveled for like 18 hours. I took a friend to the airport from a Pacific Standard Time uh, standpoint, 2.30 in the morning, so 5.30 a.m. where we were. Uh, uh, I guess it was 3.30 
uh, whatever it was, uh, 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning. And then I didn't get home till about 11 o'clock at night. So I just traveled all day Sunday. I get home, but I was just like, man, I got to preach. So Monday I wake up, start doing some things in Moscow, Idaho, and meet somebody for dinner. I was like, all right, I'm driving to preach. And so I just took off and started driving to preach. Um, and I thought I had everything packed with me. I wake up Tuesday morning and I get out my little task cam recorder so I can record the day. And I realize I don't have a microphone. So I start calling around. Nobody has like a little lapel mic that I could wear except for Radio Shack, which I, did, I thought went the way of Blockbuster. I didn't even realize these things still existed. So I went there, buy a microphone from Radio Shack. It's just in like a sandwich bag. Like, like they they did not even, like they, they had one that was properly boxed and they're like, oh yeah, this one. They, I don't know why I let the guy sell me the one that was in the sandwich bag. So I buy that one and of course it doesn't work. And and so it was 50 bucks. It doesn't work with my task cam. I'm not able to get any sound. So I had to go to campus. At this point, I'm running a little bit late, get to campus and just start preaching without being able to record it. And uh, that day, uh, Tuesday was kind of funny because it was, uh, I preached from noon to I think 645 and it was uh, pretty raucous. Uh, to be honest, like the first hour, um, since I hadn't preached in four or five weeks, I was like, oh man, can you even get a crowd? And so the first hour was kind of whiff city and you have the kids making fun of you and the old middle finger and people telling you to get a real job and all that sort of stuff. And nobody cares. And, uh, and that's all, that is kind of one of the ones that the insults that kind of works. Like nobody cares. Like, yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, but then about an hour in, uh, the crowd started to develop. And then it just got pretty hyped for a while. And then kind of last hour and a half, two hours of the day, it kind of uh, calmed down. But one of the things that was kind of funny was um, some people who I now know at, at, the, at the time, I didn't, I had not met them personally. They actually emailed me a year ago. They were walking across campus and they uh, were like, hey, we recognize that voice from the podcast. And so they came out and listened and they ended up putting me up for two nights, which was uh, pretty sweet. And because uh, when I took off and just spending all the money on the Fight Life East conference, it's like, all right, Lord, you got to take care of this. And fortunately he did. So I appreciate their hospitality and their kindness. And uh, so that was uh, Tuesday, which was a pretty good pretty good day, but to me, it went a little too hyper for my liking during parts of the day. So I went back out there on Wednesday, preach, and I thought it was just much more fruitful, a little bit more of a gracious disposition from the students. Maybe I preached differently. Maybe my tone was different. Uh, those things are kind of hard to assess, um, but it was kind of funny because a couple of things that kind of uh, from the from day one that they could not get over, and maybe my rhetoric was too strong. I think I've mentioned this on the uh, program before, but they uh, brought up abortion, and you know, of course, I'm pro-life, and so I always make that same look. I'm pro-life, and then I just kind of made the comment, look, but the way I, I look at it, you know, you, it's actually a grace. You guys killing your children are a grace, and everybody just could not get over the idea that I would tell them to go ahead and kill their children. And uh, obviously, I don't believe that. They just they just could not grasp what I was getting at, which was um, mildly humorous, but also mildly frustrating. And then the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting the day before, and that's what this topic of this uh, uh, podcast is about, was, and I don't know what I was saying. I don't remember the exact context of how this came up, but a guy ends up uh, making asking me the question, or I think it was more of an assertion. He's like, you're the type of guy who thinks women are the property of men. And I was like, well, of course women are the property of men. And then everyone's like, ah, and they kind of lose their minds. And, I, and I, then, you know, and obviously I, I changed the language here, but I said, oh, and the husband is the property of the wife. So obviously the first statement, women are the property of men is different than a wife is the property of her husband and the husband is the property of the wife. Those are actually two different statements. Um, and so at that point, you begin to back off and lay out uh, the picture of, of no, uh, from Christian standpoint, we believe that men and women, uh, 
are, are one and that their bodies are no longer their own. And that becomes obviously a point of contention in our culture. And so one of the things I want to discuss here is the reality, because I think it brings us back to the gospel uh, in many ways, is this idea of ownership, property. Um, even you think of Paul saying, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. And so you know, you're like a commodity in the market that has been bought. And in our culture, large, and you know, it's not like the ancients didn't have uh, slavery and stuff like that, but we're just, we, we so desire man to be autonomous that any sense that human beings are the property of another human being is just grossly offensive to our culture. Um, but biblically, uh, there really is no problem with somebody being identified as property. So if you, uh, I'm going to read a couple verses here. So if you go to like Deuteronomy 25 uh, and 7, uh, there is a sense in which women in these contexts are compared with vineyards and houses. So Deuteronomy 25 through 7 says this, is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And shear uh, any man who uh, has planted, uh, and is there here any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoy its fruits. And is there a man who has betrothed a wife and he has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. So in this context, house, vineyard, uh, wife, you know, don't let another man take her. And then Deuteronomy twenty-eight thirty, uh, you shall betroth the wife, but another man shall rav- yeah, but you, you shall betroth the wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but another shall dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, uh, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. And then if you put that in the context of the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment says this: You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So in that context, of the context of covetousness, a wife is identified as in in some sense like the house and like the servants as you know the being under the authority of your neighbor and having owned by your neighbor something that you can covet and then so when you take those ideas you know that's obviously grossly offensive to most of us that uh, the idea that a woman would be property Um, but what Paul does in first Corinthians uh, chapter 7 is he kind of ends up turning this idea uh, a little bit on its head or, or, or rounding it out a bit. For he says, uh, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband not have authority over his body, uh, but the wife does. So if you put that in the context of what's going on in 1 Corinthians, uh, it's kind of interesting. 1 Corinthians 6, you basically have people who I assume are single and they're promiscuous. They're going down to temple prostitutes and Paul's saying, hey, look, stop visiting temple prostitutes. Don't you know that your body uh, belongs to the Lord? How can you offer it up to uh, other people and and, or to pr- temple prostitutes. How can you do that with the Lord's body? And then apparently the married couples are not having sex. And so Paul's saying, you know, why are you denying each other sex? Don't you know that your body belongs to one another? So basically don't deny one, uh, one another your conjugal rights because your body's not your own. You belong to one another. And so I think part of what's going on here, and this ties all the way back to Genesis 2, verse 24, where it says, Therefore a man shall forsake his father and his mother and cleave or stick to his wife. Um, and so so if you look at the very beginning of creation, and even Paul develops this in 1 Corinthians 11 a bit, is that woman obviously comes from man. And now Paul argues man now comes from woman. And so, you know, our silly cliches like the future is female. Like biblically speaking, um, there's an integrated whole male needs women, women need men. And this is even part of, you know, our sexual ethic of why homosexuality is just distorted and everything else. But going back to the idea of oneness and the bodies being property. Uh, so when he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother or forsake his father and mother and cleave or stick to his wife. That's right after, uh, 
God makes Eve out of the side of Adam. And he says, at last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And so when he looks at Eve, uh, it is it is a part of him. It is his body uh, that he is looking at. And then, interesting enough, God rips her out of his side. And then they're two separate individuals. And then he says, yeah, and the two shall become one flesh. So even though God rips them apart and he's flesh of a flesh and bone of bone, he kind of puts them back together in the covenantal union of marriage. And the way we kind of, even at the very beginning of the Bible, we know that marriage is a covenant is the language that uh, Moses is using there, forsakes and cleaves or sticks. Um, the idea of forsake is what the Israelites are not to do with the poor uh, and the Levite or with the covenant. So like in Deuteronomy 12, 19, uh, 14, 27, and 29, 24, um, the Israelites are not to forsake these things. And so in a similar fashion, uh, in the opposite way, they are to forsake their family. Now, obviously, it's not in an absolute sense. You're still supposed to honor your father and your mother. Uh, but what's going on there is is man is starting a new home, and he's breaking off and, and starting his own, basically, household at that point. And then on the flip side, when it comes to the sticking and leaving, um, and it's in Deuteronomy 10, uh, 20, as well as Deuteronomy 11, 22, and uh, 13, 5, Israel is repeatedly urged to stick to the Lord. And so the marriage relationship from a Christian perspective is fundamentally covenantal. It's fundamentally a picture of God's union with his people. And so just as you know, we are, in a sense, one with the Lord by baptism, and we are his property, and we're united in a similar fashion, a husband and wife are to be that to one another. And so what initially appears offensive is actually a pretty glorious thing, because uh, you go back to Adam and Eve, uh, stealing a line from Tim Keller, one of our biggest fears is that we are uh, known and not loved, whereas the husband and wife, they were uh, naked and unashamed. And so they loved one another with being fully revealed. Now, obviously, they didn't have sin as we do and uh, a guilty conscience and a conscience filled with shame and everything else. Um, but uh, the reality of it is that's kind of um, where we are coming from, that, that the two becoming one flesh, you can be totally naked before another person and completely known. And we're actually more free when we know that we belong to another and, you know, in a covenantal context, you're going to take care of your body. Yahweh takes care of his people. And so in the context of the covenant, and what we know that there's faithfulness there, what we don't want to do is allow the world to dictate the discussion of just saying, oh, so you can men abuse women and can uh, women abuse men and all that sort of stuff. Um, what we need to continue to do is here's how the Lord treats his property. Here, uh, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Here's how the Lord does these things. And I came across... Um, uh, I don't remember who the author is, but it was a, a commentary on First Corinthians uh, going back. And, he, and one of the things I think that he does a good job pointing out is that this idea of mutual love and mutual ownership is actually find, found its roots in the Song of Solomon. And it's actually much of our romantic language, like even Valentine's Day, be mine. Um, and obviously, yeah, we're, we're maybe afraid of some ownership language in that. Uh, but for the most part, we shouldn't be. Uh, it's been pretty normal down through the ages to speak of, uh, you know, my children, my wife, and these sorts of things. And, and if and if you own your body, and the husband and wife are one, then it's there's some clarity that there is ownership here. So here's the comment in 1 Corinthians that uh, he says, he says, to our knowledge, the only other place, and this is building out of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 7-4, uh, where the husband and wife belong to one another, or do not have authority over their own bodies. Uh, to our knowledge, the only other place a similar thought is recorded prior to Paul, is in the poetic notes of a mutual belonging in the Song of Solomon. 
And he lists uh, 216, 63, and 710. Uh, And he says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Other lines in the song confirm that such language, though open to abuse, properly belongs to the realm of love and desire. Far from feeling threatened by such sentiments, the female lover swoons. His desire is for me and his banner over me is love. And so that's the picture that we want to continue to put forward when we uh, view marriage and even these things that might offend us, such as property. But I don't think there's any, anything wrong with me being understood as a Lord's property or my uh, when I was growing up, my parents' property. It just That, that stuff just doesn't bother me. Um, and so hopefully it doesn't bother you or you're going to have some real trouble uh, with some text. And ultimately, kind of the payoff is this. As I was thinking about the implications of this, obviously, uh, when the woman says, my body, my choice, uh, in the context of Christianity, that's not really an argument. Your body, in the context of union with your spouse, um, is not complete autonomy. And so it's not simply my body, uh, my choice. And Glenn Sunshine mentioned this at the Fight Life Feast Network, and I think it applies here. Um, the heart of the gospel, and Glenn Sunshine, I don't know if he got it from Peter Kreeft. The first time I ever came across it was in a book by Peter Kreeft. But he mentions that abortion is the Antichrist or the satanic counterfeit of the Eucharist. Because in the Eucharist, or in the Lord's Supper, what we get, Jesus, God himself saying, this is my body which is broken for you. So Christ gives his body up for us um, that we might be one with him. Um, But abortion says, this is my body, I'll break it or I'll do with it what I will. And so that takes the child's body and breaks it um, in the name of their autonomy. And so the, the payoff for this is is ultimately, I believe, love, whereas I believe the idea of autonomy is actually destructive. And so, again, it needs to be put in the whole context of biblical redemption and love and grace and covenant, uh, but that's what I think we find. So, uh, yeah, after being asked that, I thought it was kind of funny to be able to answer, uh, yeah, of course women are the property of men, and then men are the property of women. Um, you know, again, not an easy sell, but I think at the end of the day, a fruitful and a good one. So yeah, think about those things. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations about them, feel free to reach out to me, Keith at campuspreacher.com, Campus Evangel on the Twitter, and Keith Darrell on Facebook, as well as campuspreacher.com. Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can